Hello, and welcome to New Vintage Church Online. Due to a technical error, a few minutes of the beginning of today's sermon were not recorded. Ray? Honey, um, Mom and everybody's leaving now. Okay. Well, it was, uh, you know... Thanks for coming. Ray, think about what I said. You know, I'm just trying to help. I know. So I thought you two were going to watch some game. Because <laughs> it's not really a game. It's more like a practice. See, there's only eight of them, so they can't play a real game. Eight of what? Them. Who them? Them, them. Well, you don't see him? Karen, honey, uh, what are you watching? The baseball man. Baseball? Do you see the baseball man right now? Of course I do. But you, you really don't see him? I don't think it's very polite to try to make other people feel stupid. Mom, wait, wait a minute. Mom, wait a minute. Dee, Dee, wait. You don't see these people? It's not funny, Annie. <laughs> they couldn't see it. This is really interesting. Pastor Tim reminded us that the phrase seeing around corners refers to the ability to see into the future. We read Matthew 16 verse 3 in which the teachers of the law are asking Jesus to give them a sign to prove that he is who he claims to be, in which he responds, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Further on, we read Matthew 16 verses 8 through 10, which read, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you have little faith. Why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Do you not remember the five loaves for the five thousand, and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand, and how many basketfuls you gathered? Pastor Tim then presented the idea that we see the future with our memory. Now, join us for the conclusion of our Seeing Around Corners series with our Vision Sunday message. This morning with a sense of expectancy, knowing what God has done and what God has promised, and we see it with the eyes of faith. So in Scripture, believing is seeing. That's the way that you see. That even in moments of doubt or trial, what we do is we, we cry out to God saying, God, I believe, help my unbelief. And God answers us there in that place and meets us there. So let me ask you this, if I were to ask you, how do you think the world is going right now? Oh, it's pretty awful. Don't you see this? Don't you see that? Don't you see this? Don't you see that? What if I told you that there was another game being played all around you? That something was going on that it's easy to lose sight of, that's easy to lose track of, if all you're doing is seeing what's right in front of you. That there's a game being played all around us. What if I told you that that game was of far greater importance than what we see in the immediate forefront. And what if I told you 
that you were being asked to not only just watch the game, but to play in the game. That that game itself had more joy, more importance than you can imagine. What if I told you that the world is actually better situated for revival than it's ever been? Would you ride me off as a crazy man? Or could you have the patience, could we together have the patience to be able to see the things that God is doing all around us? What if I told you that, that I've never been as, as long of a journey as it's been toward this grand thing? I've never been more excited to be in ministry than I am right now. What if I told you that those people that you often look at as you go up and down Grand Avenue or, or uh, outside the Arts Center or wherever you may be and, and shrug your shoulders at them, kind of pass by them? What if I told you that those people, some of the people that you look at and go, what a waste of a life, that God looks at those people and sees something very, very different? That there's a game going on around that if we have eyes to see it, we can see. What if I told you that the game, so to speak, isn't for runs or points, but it is for keeps? It's for the souls of men and women, your sisters and brothers, your friends and your family, your co-workers and your confidants. Our church is a few months from opening the doors of a one-of-a-kind facility as part of a once-in-a-generation opportunity. Right. And God chose us. Right. Why? I have no idea. My guess is it has something to do with the, like the Israelites when he looked at them and he said, I chose you because you were insignificant. Right. Um, and, and I think maybe that's where he's going with it. He says, that, so that nobody would look at you and say, well, it was because they were so mighty. That's why it happened. Yep. That they would look at us just like they looked at the Israelites and say, hey, they can pull that off. God must be with them. No, I welcome that. I think that's beautiful. And it's okay to clap, by the way, this morning. This is not a golf tournament. You can clap. So see with me through the eyes of faith this morning. Now, flip from Matthew 16 over to John 4. We're going to take a look at the aftermath of a pretty well-known story. The Samaritan woman at the well. Now, Samaria was, again, was a, a, a terrible place. If you were a Jew, you didn't want to go through Samaria. John tips his hand by saying, and they had to go through Samaria. It's the Barstow of its day. It's the, uh, it's the place that you just don't want to go, uh, but it's different because it's not just like it's out in this desert wasteland. It's because the people that live there are mongrels to them, racially, ethnically, religiously. Jews and Samaritans don't get along. They don't get along at all. Over time, the Samaritans had actually separated themselves from among the Jews, built their own temple on top of Mount Gerizim, which, which really did not sit well with the Jews because in their mind, uh, there's one temple. It's the one that God ordained through uh, for Solomon to build, etc., etc. So there's only one. How dare you go build that one? And so they had real conflict. In fact, at one point in history, disdain for the Samaritans grew to such a fever pitch among the Jews that they actually went up there and destroyed the temple on top of Mount Gerizim that the Samaritans had built. Their dislike for one another was so strong that some Pharisees would literally pray that no Samaritan would be raised in the resurrection. I mean, that's, that's harsh, right? It's one thing to just say, I don't like people or whatever. It's another to like pray for their condemnation eternally. I mean, they did not like each other. In fact, later in John chapter 8, when Jesus' enemies want to insult him, they call him a Samaritan. It's a slang term. It's a it's derogatory. So when Jesus tells a story in a different part of the text called the parable of the good Samaritan, everybody kind of sits there and goes, that's an oxymoron. There's no such thing as a good Samaritan. Well, here we are, John chapter 4. They have to go through Samaria. It's on the way 
to where they're trying to get to, but they're hungry and they're thirsty. Jesus is tired and thirsty, so he heads to the well for water. And there he meets a Samaritan woman who's living with a man out of wedlock, uh, been married five times, five husbands. She is a picture of unreachable. And even if she was reachable, she's untouchable. She's not the kind of person you'd want to reach. And yet, there we find Jesus. He asks her for a drink of water. It startles even the Samaritan woman. She's not expecting him to say anything to her. She's startled. And he engages her in this remarkable conversation. I wish we had time to read together this morning. I encourage you to do it later today. But it's one that reminds us that some of the people that we would least expect are thinking about God. I mean, they're doing it deeply and constantly. The conversation that's there is very spiritual between Jesus and her, and all he does is essentially go to the water cooler. Can you see it? He sees the game going on wherever he goes. The apostles, on the other hand, do not. Or they see it, and they don't want to play because they don't want to play with that kid. So here's what happens. It's a fairly lengthy text, but I want you to walk through it with me this morning briefly as we look toward our vision going forward. John chapter 4, we'll start in verse 27. We're going to read through uh, 38. Here we go. So just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? That's what they're thinking, right? So it says they didn't ask it. But that's, that's what they're thinking. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. These guys think about food more than anybody I've ever met. <laughs> I, I, I would have been a great disciple. <laughs> but he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, did somebody bring him some food? <laughs> they still don't get it, right? They don't see the game being played. They don't have any idea what he's talking about. All they see is this man who claims to be the Messiah, and he's engaging a woman that's supposed to be untouchable, unreachable, that he's supposed to be saying nothing to. And here he is doing that. And then they say, here's some food. You're starving. We're starving. Let's eat. And he says, I have other food. They still don't see it. Verse 33. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, here we go, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Amen. Not start his work, not think about his work. Finish it. Finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. There's a game going on. He's saying, don't you see it? Can't you see it? They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the owner and the reaper may, have glad, uh, may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Amen. All right. Opportunities everywhere. That's the point. They look out and they go, we're stuck here in Samaria. In Samaria. We had to walk and go buy food because there are crummy drive throughs here in Samaria or something like that. And they're upset. And Jesus goes, got a whole different kind of food. Don't you see? I know you look and you see a village full of untouchables. But don't you see 
The harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe. When the disciples show up, they don't think, oh good, look at Jesus reaching out to that poor woman. They think, why is he talking to her? We got dinner to eat. Let's eat and get out of here. Jesus sees harvest. They see barrenness. You see the difference? God has often gone before us to prepare the hearts of those we least expect. In one case, it's the Samaritan woman. In another case, it's Nicodemus, the Pharisee. He comes in the middle of the night to Jesus. When it seems like the Pharisees are all over Jesus, nobody wants to have anything to do, but God had been doing his work on Nicodemus. All around us this very morning, maybe even among us today, God is doing his work on people. And if we have the eyes to see it and the courage to walk forward in it with faith, then God will do amazing things among us. Seeing the harvest requires faith and it requires a commitment to it. Like the scene in Field of Dreams, only those who believed or had it revealed to them could see it. In the same way, the harvest that we walk around in on a daily basis is something that God wants us to see. And sometimes just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. It's there. It's there. So we dare not let Satan steal our vision. And we shouldn't let him paint a different picture. And we shouldn't let him steal the mission that God gave to us and give us another. Our mission is our food. Think about that. Go back to verse 31. They want Jesus to eat. And he says, I have food you don't know about, and it's to do God's will and finish his work. To do God's will and finish his work. That's the food that will help us not be hungry again. All other food leaves you hungry. There's a a, a term for a person who eats anything they can put into their mouth and then cries if anybody tries to take it away. It's a baby. All right. That's what kids do. They crawl around, they grab anything that's loose, and they put it in their mouth. They have no ability to distinguish between, I should eat that or I shouldn't eat that. Adults need more than smashed peas. And they know the difference. No, it's probably not a good idea to put that Lego in your mouth and try to swallow it. No, it's probably not a good idea to stick your tongue in that light socket. It's a terrible idea. No, you shouldn't do that. And, and so there's a, a concept here that Jesus is trying to teach us about food and what actually sustains people. And it's the mission of God in the world that our food is to do the will of the one who sent us and to finish his work. That that's what ought to drive us, fuel us. And so just like you know, an adult would look at you know, little smashed peas or bananas or whatever garbage they, that we're feeding our babies these days to make them healthy. No wonder they cry all the time. I mean, would you like to be force-fed that stuff all the time? I wouldn't. I mean, when you look at it, try it sometime, parents, if you haven't tried it. It's disgusting. But you do that, uh, grown-ups, grown-ups, we, we look at something, we go, no, 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 this is the good stuff right here. I mean, if I started to, to start uh, giving you, uh, you know, tantalizing visions of what lays ahead of you at lunchtime today, or we were handing out $300 Ruth's Chris Steakhouse gift cards this morning. We're not. (laughs) 
And we started talking about butter dripping off the steak and the 500-degree plate and, the, and all the different things that you got on the side. And we just kept going and going and going and going. And you know what? You'd eat it, and it would be great. And you'd be hungry six hours later. What would it take? What kind of food is there? What kind of crazy food is this that makes you never hunger again? And he promises the Samaritan woman water. That you drink this, you'll never thirst again. John 4, 39 to 42, look at the aftermath. Many of the Samaritans, it's on the screen here, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Uh-oh. The village is starting to come to Christ now. Watch this. Because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. He stayed two days. They want to get out of there. He's moving in. Right? He's unloading the U-Haul at Samaria. And because of his words, it says, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. See, here's the thing. My dad used to restore these old beat-up sorry cars. He'd get a, you know, an old beater, 1958 this, or 1964 that, or whatever, and he would buy these shells full of rust, no tires, I mean, and, and turn these things into amazing cars, and we would, we would go to some junkyard in the middle of the desert, actually, there's one outside Barstow, <laughs> where we would go, and, and he would find these shells, and to him, he would look at them, he would go, look at that, I mean, it was pitiful, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sleep in a car like that if I was homeless, and he's like, Look at that. And he can see, he sees the after. I see the before, he sees the after. That's something like what Jesus is teaching here. The apostles walk in and all they see are people that they're untouchables, we don't like them, we don't whatever. Reminds me of Jonah, reminds me of a whole bunch of others over the years that God wanted them to go reach and they didn't want to. And then sometimes... You have what happens on Pentecost, where Peter gets up in the face of everybody. We're going to do this one in two weeks from now, that text. okay? And he gets up and he preaches the truth to people. And they come by the thousands. Noah couldn't get anybody. Jonah, one eight-word little mini-sermon, begrudgingly. He probably said it under his breath. He has no desire to see Nineveh come to repentance. The whole stinking nation repents, even the animals, it says. So what is this stuff going on? Like, how do we know the difference between this harvest and that harvest? Our job's not to determine where the harvest is. It's to have eyes that see the harvest where it exists and trust that God is going to point us where we need to go. To be willing to see the after picture, not just the before. I mean, look, here we are, heading into this... uh, wild era we've got coming our way. It's one of the most divisive times I, I'm in my 44 years of life. Presidential election year. That'll be a hot potato when it comes. People can be all full of anxiety and looking for a way to get some peace. Our church is in the middle of that, going to pull up downtown on a corner, middle of all that, and open a little faith village sorts. House of God, which people will gather on the main drag of the city to enjoy a variety of things and and seeking God. 
And so sometimes they don't see the game that's being played either in the sense that they're going in there, they don't even realize that they were needed God at the time until they find him, until God finds them. Can we see it? Do we have the eyes to see that? Do we have the guts to go after it? And the eyes to see it. And Jesus will say, elsewhere the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. <laughs> That's the problem. It's not that there's no harvest. Plenty of harvest. There's not enough workers. So on the stage here behind me, this is one of the chairs for, that's going in the Ritz Theater. I, haven't, I actually haven't seen it yet. Uh, so you and I are going to do this together, if that's all right. Uh, I'm going to try to do this so the people on this side aren't. There's really nowhere for me to put this, so we're just going to put it here. <laughs> all right. So now, now here's what we're going to do. You're going you're gonna to see this with me. Let me see. Right, so here's what it's going to look like. All right. I don't know if you can see this thing over here. Yeah. So this is a sample, sample seat. I'm not going to sit in it because I don't know how stable it is, and I'm fat. So, um, but you know what? Here's the thing. This is a seat end right here. I'll go on the edge. It's, uh, I think, gold. I can't tell in the spotlight. Gold or silver. You can look at that, and you can see a chair. Oh, look at that. It's a chair. I'd like to think about who's going to be in the chair, who could be in the chair, right? I don't know, a kid, parent, what's going to be going on in their minds? What's going to be going on in their souls? What is God going to do in that chair? And I think there'll be more than 600 of them in there. And my hope is, by faith, time after time, service after service, event after event, that it will be time for God to do his thing, his work. So I can look at it, I can see the chair. I can actually look at it and go, I don't know if it's big enough to fit me. I hope I like it. That's not what I should be saying. What I should be thinking is, what's God going to do with that chair? T.D. Jakes, I heard him say once in a sermon, he says, God won't give you a chair he doesn't have a person for. I love that way of thinking. 126 days from right now at the latest, could be sooner, we open the doors of the Ritz. Who's counting? <laughs> 126 days. In three hours and 17 minutes. Now, I don't know. <laughs> I am ready, man. Let me tell you that. I'm ready. Uh, and with that in mind, I want to start walking you down the, the path a little bit, okay? So I'm going to move this back over, and hopefully the camera people will, if they need to make an adjustment, will do that. Um, all we have time for this morning is grand stuff, so that's all we're doing. We have other ministry-related stuff that we'll, we'll drip out over the next few weeks, um, but... You guys wouldn't listen to that stuff anyways if, if we didn't tell you about Grand. So we're going to tell you about Grand today, and then we'll, we'll move on. It's not a matter of importance. It's just I know kind of, I think, where people's minds are at, and I uh, want to be sensitive to that. 
Well, uh, the long and the short of it is this. It's actually time for us to begin our transition to our new home, which is also our new mission field. So for the first time, as of about Tuesday of this last week, we actually got what you would call not to exceed dates. So these are the back end dates, meaning this is as long as conceptually we can imagine it taking. So it could be sooner, but it shall not go beyond, okay? So with that in mind, um, we need to spend the spring getting ready and to do that with great agility. So uh, on March 1st, that is four Sundays away from now. That's not very long. We are going to relocate to a new temporary location at 355 grand, which is not the Ritz, okay? And we have to begin by chopping our services in two and going to multiple services, okay? Why, you ask? Well, I'll give you a bunch of reasons why we're making this move, okay? I'm going to do them quick. If you want to argue about it, we can certainly do that later. We really don't have time, though. <laughs> um, some of it is... It saves money uh, over staying in here. This is a much more expensive place. Um, some of it's physics. Uh, you couldn't take this group plus everybody that's not in here, children's ministry, all that, and put it in the building at the same time. There's not enough space. Uh, it will help us grow. The more service times you have, the more options you give people, the, typically the, the more you grow and the more time. And a lot of it's because you, the people that you have actually go more often. It's not just that you have all these new people that are coming in. It's that those of you... Uh, that are actually part of our NBC family uh, are here more often when there are more time slots. Um, we need to, having done this transition from one to two about a dozen times over my years of ministry, whether it was one to two or two to three or three to four, uh, there's a, some systemic things that you just need to do. You don't want to open the Ritz on the same day you go into two or maybe three services. We need to make that move now. I have a couple pictures of uh, the building I'll share with you here. Uh, first, let's take a look at the Ritz real quick. Uh, oh, there we go. So th this, what you see here this is about a week ago. That structural steel of the mezzanine on the left. On the right, that's the floor of the mezzanine a few days later. So that picture, the mezzanine floor, that's the steel that's in there and already put in on the mezzanine. Uh, the floor is now covered with uh, protective material because they're about to build a very large, what they call a dance floor. And they're going to hoist that thing up in the air with workers on it, and they're going to put all the fire sprinklers in. So that's going down this week. Um, the corner building, the structural steel and all that's supposed to go up in the first week of February. So what that means is uh, probably in fairly short order, you will see the entire outer structure of that building go up in about seven days. Time. Boom, 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 boom. Okay. Meanwhile, inside the Ritz, when they're done with the fire sprinklers, they'll go put all the um, they'll start hanging all the structural stuff. They've already done the steel piece, but there are other little things to hang speakers, lights, things like that from. Uh, we, they'll um, finish the floor. They will uh, put in the chairs, and, and then it'll be done. So the latest, okay, at the present moment that we see ourselves being in there is May 31st in the Ritz. That's the latest. That's 126 days from right now, three hours and 14 minutes from now, Okay. Um, now, that may sound like a long time to you, but based on the way that the average American goes to church, that means you'll come to church five more times before you're in the race. Okay? Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to be harsh. I'm just saying a lot of people. Uh, and so that, that number needs to, to, to multiply. Um, if you look on paper at our statistics, uh, we got a footprint, don't laugh at this, of a thousand people. Uh, but our people just don't come to church very much. We got to do that better, guys. 
Um, we, we could easily overflow this room. We can overflow that one twice if the church just showed up on a Sunday. So one of the reasons that you see Easter triple in size is because everybody comes on Easter, right? So we believe that we have um, plenty of people to do this and to make this move, but it's about seeing what's ahead of us and counting on the people of God uh, to rise to the occasion. Uh, let me give you a couple other benefits of, of um, going to 355. Uh, it is going to help us grow. It's also going to help. We're going to get to watch the grand get finished on a weekly basis. This is about six doors away from the Ritz, where we're going. Uh, so you'll show up for church, and you'll be able to see in very, uh, that's the outside of the building. This is the old Classical Academy online building. It's about to become, as of tomorrow morning, uh, you will op- that will be a new business called Local Hub, which is a co-working space. We will be the first people to move in. Uh, it's not us running the business. We're just having to be the first people moving in. Uh, and uh, on the weekends, we will have our services in there. The church staff will move in there in the morning. We have no offices right now. We're going to fix that in the morning. Um, and we will move into that space, okay? Uh, the other thing that this provides us is the ability to train people for ministry, which we really don't have now. If we want space to be able to do those kinds of things, we have to rent it, and it costs a lot. Uh, this gives us the capacity to do that and have it all rolled into what we're paying for, worship space and office space. Uh, and frankly, the experience of being able to be on grand and notice all the quirks of it ahead of time is huge. Small things. Where am I going to park? Uh, what's it like when the Cruising Grand does their big one-day thing? When they do a big festival on Grand, what's it like? Uh, how do we, Im- and we can go make all of our mistakes before we bless our community with those mistakes and <laughs> tweak them and fix them, okay? Um, so here's a f- just a few little inside things of the building. This is going to be completely redone, repainted and everything, okay? But go ahead. Um, that's the main room where we're going to have, you can see it, 184 in there in your dreams, but that's what the uh, fire marshal says you can put on that bottom floor, that's adult space. Uh, go to the next one there. Uh, these are other parts of the facility, upstairs, uh, staircase, and things like that, okay? Now, here's what we're going to do. During that phase, during this phase, which will be about two to three months long, three on the long side, two on the short side, okay? We're going to devote every ounce of energy we have to uh, training and equipping people for the harvest that we believe God's going to bring us. It's going to be a prep phase, all right? So, accordingly, we're building a little campaign that I want everybody in this room and everybody that's not in this room to sign up for. And we're calling it Spring Training because uh, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's all right. Um, So, uh, some of you know we have a little bit of a proclivity for baseball around these parts. Um, And so, uh, about the time that pitchers and catchers have reported for a week or two, uh, we're going to have, and it'll run um, maybe a little bit longer than spring training does, but it'll start a little bit after. And spring training in the baseball world is a little season before the season. It's where you go to get your body back in shape, to remember what it's like to field ground balls, to, to um, learn a new pitch, to practice things before the season starts. And so we're going to go into this, uh, and that will begin Sunday the 23rd when we walk out of here. Okay, that'll be our last Sunday in, in this room. Uh, it will begin right at that moment. We're going we're gonna to ask everybody that's a part of this church. I don't care who you are. I don't care how vaguely you're a part of the church. We want everybody to be involved in this. We're going to, there'll be two nights, or two, uh, one Sunday afternoon, we'll walk out of here, go down to 355, where we'll be meeting the next Sunday. Uh, we'll feed you, and we will ask you to, we're calling it draft day. 
all right, and, and you sign up for some area of ministry that you're willing to get engaged in. Here's what the timeline looks like, okay? So tomorrow morning, that's the 27th, church offices move to 355. On the 2nd, new sermon series starts on Acts called How to Change the World. Uh, that'll be right here next week. Uh, on the 23rd and 24th, that's a Sunday afternoon and a Monday night. So if you can't, for some reason, make it that afternoon, Monday night, the next night, we're going to do a second draft day for anybody that hasn't had a chance to sign up, okay? On the 1st, that's our first Sunday down there, new service times, 9 and 11. Um, and we will uh, officially engage the spring training process. So it'll be a sequence, depending on the area of ministry you're in, there'll be a little mini schedule, okay, published of this is when we're doing our training events to get you ready for ministry. Uh, Easter Sunday, we have no idea what's going to happen at this point. Uh, if we're in the Ritz, we'll do it there. If we're not, then we'll have a jillion services at 355 grand, and uh, probably use the little park across the street and some other things. Uh, so we're going to take a wait-and-see approach to that. Um, if I were a betting man, I would bet we're not going to quite clear it uh, uh, for Easter. But in a way, that's kind of okay. Um, there are some reasons why I think opening the Ritz on Easter is not smart. Um, I think it could be, it's, it's nice, and, and it, it's a morale boost, but it's also kind of dumb if you're not ready. And, and in my opinion, we're going to need every inch of this to get ready. By, the, by May 31, okay, soft opening means you're not promoting everybody, hey, come and show up, because we don't know if the toilet's flush, the lights are on, any of that stuff yet. We don't know what we're doing. So we're going to take a couple of weeks, get all the clumsy out, all right, and get all the, so we know where everything's going. Um, but that 9 and 11 time slot, those are going to be the initial service times when we start grand. You need to know that as fast as humanly possible, we are going to sprint to try and get in an evening service on either Sunday night or Monday night. So we're going to try and get to an evening service. Yeah, I know those uh, who are late night people or like whatever, it's like, dude, evening. When we, we were originally an evening, I see the hands going up. We got fist pumps going on. <laughs> exactly. We were, we were Sunday nights only for our first year. You guys may not know that. And, and when we, there was weeping and gnashing of teeth when we went to the mornings by some. <laughs> Uh, because we had, we had drawn a lot of, frankly, we drove a lot of men, and we drew a lot of singles, uh, and people for whom the Sunday night slot was just nice. So it may be Sunday night, it may be Monday night, and eventually I think it'll be both, okay, down the road. So that's where things are, are heading, okay? Um, May 31st, and by July 31st, both buildings are fully complete, everything's gone. There's not a ladder left, there's no paint cans left, they're gone, okay? That's those are the back-end dates, all right, right now. So it could be sooner. Uh, I would love to see if we could get in there by the 4th of July because I think that will be an amazing place to uh, watch fireworks from the roof over there. It will be awesome. So we're going to sprint for that. I don't want to get your hopes up. Uh, it's possible that the roof will be done, but not the second floor um, at that point on the 4th. But by the 31st, uh, the good Lord willing, all of that will be, will be gone. So we have, as of this morning, sisters and brothers... 126 days <laughs> before we will be doing uh, the same thing inside the Ritz. Who, who's counting? So, <laughs> and that's, by the way, at most. So another reason we got to hurry is because if it is sooner, we need to be ready to go. So, um, it's entirely possible for them to walk in and say, hey, it'll be ready. The Ritz will be actually be ready on May 1. And in which case, I don't want to be going, well, wait. We'll go ahead and open it up, and we're just going to sit over here in this other building for a month. We need to be ready to go. So uh, we're going to start that 
process as soon as humanly possible. And I guess, you know, now that we're actually close and now that it's actually, if you walk inside the Ritz now, there's no doubt in your mind, this is actually going to get done. Like, you walk in there, you're going to go, holy cow, like, this is really happening. And that's awesome. I I do want to say this to, to each of us, okay? Our opportunity to do this is once in a lifetime. Okay. Once in a lifetime. Most pastors spend their entire career and never get an opportunity like this. Most people go to church their whole life and they never get an opportunity like this. And for whatever reason, <laughs> God chose New Vintage. And so what I'm inviting you to do is see the game, okay, understand how important this moment is, not just for our church, but for our city. They're counting on us, all right? And our devotion is, is necessary right now. So let me encourage you, don't wait to be devoted until the first Sunday we're in the Ritz. The devotion piece should have been going on all along, but now it matters, okay? Now we're in that season where we're playing for keeps. We got a couple that said, the second you guys go to two services, you can put us down to do children's ministry every single Sunday. I mean, you talk about somebody wearing a robe and a crown in the kingdom of heaven. Those two, let's go, let's go. I'm talking about running the race for keeps, like we talked about last week, right? That's one of the reasons you go to multiple services. A lot of people don't want to serve if they know they're going to miss church every Sunday, right? Um, so, this is a moment. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Here's what devotion looks like. Number one, okay, show up, <laughs> okay? I know that sounds so basic. It's not basic anymore, and I know a lot of us in this, in this room and out of this room are new to the faith, all right, and you haven't developed those habits yet, okay, but those of us who've done this a long time, you know, and, and, and going back, you know, I was a four times a week guy growing up, and I didn't stop that ever, um, and, and I just have developed, I understand how the habit really keeps your life on track, and sometimes when you drag your, your bones out of the house and just find a way to get there, that God honors that sacrifice and blesses you for it, okay? We're in a season right now where your attendance matters more than it ever has, so show up. Number two, Invite your friends. The number one way any church grows is through you guys inviting your friends. It's not through the the preaching. It's not through whatever. The way that people show up to churches and stick is through the invitation of a friend. So it can be, if those of you who are introverted uh, and are shy about this kind of thing, I'd I'd say on the one hand, get over it. On the other hand, I'll say... um, you got to you got to think about the chair guys we got to we got to just start taking the witnessing to the gospel piece of this thing much more seriously and i mean it can be as basic as just sharing stuff on social media liking things casual invites little things like that that we were really good at in the early days of nbc and it showed uh we got to get back there because not because we're trying to build some man-made cause because of that that's why that's why Okay, that chair matters, you know, and we, we've reached a point in our ministry where we've got a guy, you get Richard Nichter, who's coming in next week to be our, our executive guy. I mean, he was the guy that we prayed for would be in that chair. 
He was one of the grapes on the grapevine paintings. Those of you who've been here a while know what those mean. Uh, his name was signed on the stage. And now if you go inside the Ritz on all that steel, you see names everywhere. And it's, that is a way of us committing to that, to being able to reach people for, for Christ. So show up, invite your friends, engage in ministry. Now here's what I don't mean. I don't mean an annual trip, you know, to, to, the, uh, to be one to pass out bulletins on Easter, okay? I just think we got to grow up a bit, okay? That's all right. Hey, give us some clapping. There's somebody who serves most weekends. I guarantee you, whoever that was. <laughs> yeah, well, we got to grow up more, okay? We either got to stop saying that the gospel changes lives or we got to start acting like the gospel changes lives. But we've got to stop being hypocrites and saying, my life's all about God, and my life bears no resemblance to the gospel. It has to stop. So this is our moment, all right? And, and, and if, you're, if you're new to the faith and you're not sure yet, uh, we'll, we'll be patient with you a little bit longer. But listen, you need to know that what you're getting yourself involved in here, the, the folks that are, are, are in this church are in this to win this, all right? And, and, and we love you, and we'll be patient with you. But some of us just need that nudge to just simply say, what are you waiting for? Like, so we're going to do everything we can. We're going to give you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. We will sh- you show up. We will train you. We will give you the ability to grow in ministry, to take on large-scale leadership positions in something that is going to be very special, very unique, very complicated, and very wonderful. And then lastly, we got to give generously. Um... You know, we, I'm thankful for those in church that have done that year after year, but in the same way that we have a lot of people who, who, who aren't, just aren't taking their walk with Christ seriously, it's the same thing. Generosity usually trails all that stuff. And I think we just got to get more devoted in that aspect too. This is something that makes a big difference in our ability to go in and arrive at the Ritz with a full tank of gas instead of on fumes is going to have a lot to do with our success there. So here's, here's what I'm asking. Those of you who, um, you know, if you're, if you're giving $20 a week or whatever, and you know that you probably could give $500 a week, at least take the step to 40 Do something. Um, we have very few people in here that are hand-to-mouth. That's just not who we are, okay? Uh, and that one of the blessings of that, we do have some, but we don't have a lot. And you can go out to the parking lot and tell that we have stuff. Okay? And we need to honor God with that. All right? I want you to know, Em and I are committed to it, personally. Like, very committed to it. All right? And I'm inviting you to be a part of it, too, because that's part of engagement. It's heart, mind, soul, strength. And the strength part includes the wallet. It was a record year in the stock market. Okay? A lot of us have a lot of increase there that showed up. You can donate stock. DJ said it in December, and y'all laughed. I was sitting right there when he did it. We have people that give stock. That's what they do because they understand it's a smarter way to give in some cases. Land, whatever. We will find a way to use it for the kingdom, all right? But do some praying about it, think about it, and how you can do a little bit more. And all I'm going to promise you is I think if you're willing to, to do that, the scriptures do promise that God, that will honor God, and any time you honor God, he will bless you for that. In whatever way he sees fit. I'm not saying... You know, that you'll be rich if you do it. Not that. But it will honor God and he will bless you as he sees fit. Show up.
invite your friends, engage in ministry, give gen- generously, and just the big phrase, I guess, just dial in. Just dial in. You don't get an opportunity like this every day. And God chose us. So, going back to our good friend in Field of Dreams, do we see it? Do we see it? 